being here, um, having appreciation for our wonderful bell ringers. And uh, if you've been around the meditation and retreat scene, it's like, I hear a bell, I meditate. You know, it's like a (laughs) well-trained puppy. Um, um, In one of my first encounters at a Buddhist retreat center um, was Tassajara. Some of you might know, um, not too far from here. And when I think back on my first visit there, one of the, um, something that moved me every time I, I was there and every time I saw it was a, a little verse. It was like a poem that is outside the meditation hall. And it said something like, life is fleeting, quickly passing. Great is the matter of birth and death. Wake up, wake up. Don't waste this life. And um, it was written in black paint on a, on a wooden board. And to call the students and the monks to meditation, that board was hit with a, with a mallet, with a hammer. You know, so like a pop, and pop, and pop, 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 and pop, 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 and um, even though I couldn't have articulated it at the time, there was something about this connection between the fleeting nature of life, the impermanence, um, the urgency of that, and meditation practice and Dharma practice. It was like, yeah, of course, you know, um, if this is our situation, then the response is this. The response is to uh, wake up. Mm. So, so I want to say a few words about impermanence. Um, in Pali, the the word is anicca. Mm. Yesterday, Inez talked about the quality of investigation, the quality of looking closely, looking carefully. Um, And when we look closely, when we look carefully, we see see more deeply. And the idea with insight meditation is that um, you know there are many benefits of meditation and many benefits of insight meditation, the calm, maybe, the clarity, the um, you know I feel like in our culture there's this sense of that meditation is about the heightened experience of the present moment, you know mindfulness. For more mindful will 
be here for more of our life, we'll appreciate our life more, and our life will work better. You know, and it makes sense. Totally makes sense. Um, but maybe there's more even to that. Maybe there's another layer, another level that um, we can explore. And so when we investigate, we um, begin to see the nature of things. We have to see things as they are. Um, and one of the ways that things are, one of the ways things happen to be, is the Buddha called anicca, impermanent. Um, I'm going to quote from the, the great Dharma master, Oscar Wilde. I have it here. So when he says, when he says the first class of absinthe, he really means the first day of retreat. So <laughs> after the first glass of absinthe, you see things as you wish they were. After the second, you see them as they are not. Finally, you see things as they really are. And that is the most horrible thing in the world. There's a way that impermanence is considered to be um, one of the core insights that we begin to understand in insight meditation. Um, in a way, it's the heart of the Dharma. Um, and you kind of think like, well, but we all we know, you know, we all know about impermanence. We all know things change. We all know that. Um, Time is passing, our bodies are changing, the days, the weeks, the months, etc. Um, but there's a way that um, maybe there's some way that we, we don't open to this uh, completely, don't open to this truth completely. Um, one of the things that came into my mind was um, a, a good friend passed away about two months ago and she had been quite ill and um, was in, eventually went into hospice and, um, you know, you go into hospice pretty much for one reason. Um, and uh, um, Gil and I went to visit her one afternoon and, and it was very sweet and enchanted with her and was with her. And um, 
But still, when I, when I got the call that she had died, it was like a shock. It's like, what? What? <laughs> you know, and then I thought, why, why is that such a shock? You know, it was like, um, and, I, and I felt that there was a part of me that um, didn't want to see it, that was still, that was still sort of, um, not opening to this truth some way. Um, and so we, so the so the Buddhist teaching is that all conditioned things are impermanent. All conditioned things are impermanent. Meaning, whatever it is that we can experience with this body and mind is impermanent. Um, whatever has the nature of arising has the nature of ceasing. Whatever is here, by its nature, must disappear. Um, in the Diamond Sutra, the Buddha says, so you should view this fleeting world, a star at dawn, a bubble in a stream, a flash of lightning in a summer cloud, a flickering lamp, a phantom, and a dream. Beautiful poetry. Um, and yet the reality of impermanence or the actual experience of impermanence um, can often be very difficult, can be very painful. You know, if it means that we're going to be separated from who and what we love you know, this inevitably, there's something in this world of impermanence that, that tends to bring suffering. So in a way, I feel like one of the core questions of practice or the, um, or um, issue that we're called on to, to understand, to answer, is simply how can I live in the world of impermanence? How, how can I um, love in the world of impermanence? How can I be free in the world of impermanence? Um, So sometimes contact with impermanence in a deep way brings us to practice. Um, the Buddha himself is said to have been a very overprotected child. Maybe you've heard this story. And I know those of you who are parents can identify with this. I don't know if the Buddha had helicopter parents, but I've heard this other thing, snowplow parents. You know, it's just, just remove all the obstacles. <laughs> That's what we do. That's what we do. Um, 
So, and the Buddha to be, before he was the Buddha, ventured out, out from the confines of his home, his palace, his, and he saw, he saw life as it is. He saw a sick person, he saw an old person, and he saw a corpse. And it's said that these gave him a jolt. They woke him up in, in some way to um, a truth that he hadn't been able allowed to see before. Um, I've noticed for myself um, and um, others that sometimes it's a some some encounter with impermanence is what brings us to the practice. We start to question. We start to, you know, it may be the death of a parent or someone close to us. It may be the ending of a relationship. Um, it may be a career, a career change or something, some picture of who we thought we were or what our, our life was like or what our life was about um, shattered. And we say, you know, what is this? What is, what's going on here? Um, so if the question um, is, um, how can we live, how can we be free in the, in the light of impermanence? One hint or one, one possible approach is in this funeral chant that is an ancient Pali chant that um, is, uh, I think, quite well known in Southeast Asia. And the translation of the chant is something like, all conditioned things are impermanent. They arise and they pass away. To be in harmony with this truth is the greatest happiness. All conditioned things are impermanent. They arise and they pass away. To bring this truth to peace is the greatest happiness. One of the things I love about this is that it is It's not saying that we need to escape the world of impermanence to be happy. Um, if that were the case, it would be this would be pretty, pretty grim news. Um, but it, it's pointing to a possibility of some way, of some way, not being in conflict with how things are. And if you think about it, we talked about in the meditation. Um, this principle of not being in conflict. My intention is to be with the breath and then some strong emotion comes up. That's fine, that's totally fine. Just turn to the emotion, be with that. Um, so what is it to not be in conflict with impermanence? What is it not to be in conflict um, at this fundamental 
with this fundamental truth. Um, I think I said this a few days ago, but this idea of pain plus non-acceptance of that pain equals suffering. This equation is sort of um, Buddhist math. <laughs> In the same way, maybe we can say impermanence or change plus non-acceptance of impermanence. Mm. Not seeing it, not understanding it. Um, denying it in some way. Um, bring suffering. Impermanence plus opening plus acceptance plus understanding brings peace. Um, and all of this said, I think the reason, I mean, you know, this is easier said than done. This is, this is quite a challenge for us as human beings. There's something that's so in our nature that wants stability, safety, security, and um, this is this is from the the Buddhist uh, psychologist Mark Epstein. Fear in life is fear of change. John Cage said in one of his most famous pronouncements. His lifelong friend, the artist Robert Rauschenberg, often repeated Cage's aphorism, adding his own coda, nothing can avoid changing. It's the only thing you can count on. Because life doesn't have any other possibility, everyone can be measured by his adaptability to change. Fear in life is fear of change. one of the things that is a little bit tricky about talking about impermanence is that um, to also want to hold and honor res and respect this, um, this sort of human need for, for permanence. You know, children need parents who have some, you know, some expectation they're going to come back the next day and the next day and the next day, you know. And then, you know, the, um, we need to, um, it's important, it's healthy to think about our future, to, you know. Um, and so how do we hold these? How do we hold these, um, this sort of um, need for continuity in some way while opening to the deepest truths of impermanence. Um, I mean, one way I think about it is that 
um, if we can think of meditation as learning ways of being with experience, learning ways of seeing that open us, that that free us. Um, impermanence itself can be a tool. Impermanence is like a perspective that we can we can um, adopt. And the beauty of this is that um, to see impermanence is in a deep way itself is freeing. So, um, and then in certain times, in certain parts of our life, um, you know, we're, we're taking another perspective. We're 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 uh, we're understanding that the truth of cause and effect, um, because in the world of impermanence doesn't mean everything is random. You know, it doesn't mean it's just like things. Anything's happening. It's it's um, conditions arise due to causes, and we can we can plant the seeds that that, that uh, create the the conditions that we hope to have. Um, does that make sense? It's like, I often think about um, something that often comes up for meditators is thinking about the future, you know, and this planning mind. And w one of the best pieces of advice I got about this um, was, What happened in the past determines how things are now. And what happens now determines the future, right? You know, this is planting seeds. So if you're concerned about the future and you want to take care of the future, take care of right now. Keep taking care of right now. And anyway, that's a little aside on conditionality. But um, so... maybe we can say that one of the main benefits of meditation is that it helps us, it can help us to see, to open to impermanence. Um, although it may sound paradoxical, the more quiet and the more still the mind is, the easier it is to perceive change. You know, when my mind is scattered and agitated, um, the world takes on a kind of solidity. You know, I don't know if you if you if this resonates with you, but it's sort of like you know, it's like oh, it's like this. It's always going to be like this. It's you know, and the mind is very agitated. But when the mind is quiet, when the mind is more still, um, it's possible to to perceive change um, more clearly, more more deeply. So that's one thing about meditation. The other part of meditation that, that is extremely helpful is 
to drop below our, the, the level of conceptual thinking. Um, there's a way that concepts don't change. You know, my mother may change, <laughs> but my idea about my mother <laughs> never changes. You know, you know what I mean? This, so in meditation, we're, we're, we're experiencing directly. And when the mind is calm, and when we can experience directly, it's amazing. It's, it's like the, the changing nature of experience just comes forth. It comes into, into relief. Um, and, and, and seeing that everything without exception is changing, that there's nothing to hold on to, this itself is what lets, what lets the mind um, let go. That's the word release. One of the other ways I think about this is that, um, as I was talking about in one of the one of the group interviews, there can be this unfolding of meditation practice, going from the particulars of our experience, the content of our experiences, which we're usually we're usually enmeshed with the content, the the what. And um, it's possible to actually shift our perspective or through, through, through just the unfolding of practice, we shift our perspective to seeing a dimension of our experience that is, um, that is, that is just changing. It's just the, ch you know, it's like, it's like, Think about it as going from the personal in a way to the universal. This is like a universal characteristic. Um, and there can be this wonderful feeling of when we realize that practice is not necessarily about getting to some special state. You know, it's not about once and for all landing there and then I'm done. But it's actually maybe more about seeing the changing nature of all states. You know? And the emptiness of all states. You know, so it's, it's not about some particular place. Um, but, this, but this changing nature, this is so easy to miss. You know, this is so ordinary. This is the, the water that we swim in. So we don't see it. Um, this is the Japanese um, Zen monk and poet, Ryokan. Walking along, I followed the branching stream to its source, but reaching the headwaters left me stunned. That's when I realized the true source isn't a particular place you can reach. So now, wherever my staff sets down, 
I just play in the flowing waters, eddies, and swirl. That's when I realize the true source isn't a particular place we reach. Um, I want to say a little bit about the good part of impermanence. Um, to be sure, opening, opening our hearts to this truth is, is opening to the um, inevitable loss, sense of loss that will, that will be part of our lives. Um, but when we think about it, Without death, there can be no birth. You know, without impermanence, there can be no, there can be no life. There can be no growth. Um, the Buddha said, without impermanence, there can be no path. Um, you know, so Ajahn Chah, the Thai teacher, said, if you want to cry, cry when someone's born. <laughs> I did cry when my children were born. They were happy tears. Um, impermanence enables goodness, love, joy. Um, impermanence allows relationship. I think one of the... Um, When I think about how to navigate this world of change, okay, the Buddha talked about if we cling, we suffer. If we don't cling, we don't suffer. But um, if we have this appreciation of, um, as I was talking about before, um, condi conditionality, we, we have some some um, some path to navigate. You know, we know if I plant these kind of seeds, this will happen. If I plant these kind of seeds, this will happen. Um, I was um, the other the other night. I was at a symposium, which was called "Sickness, Old Age, and Death." You know, and it was modeled after these the heavenly messengers who the buddha saw and but it wasn't you know from a from a legend 2500 years ago it with people who were just like us who were on stage a one woman who um was quite a is quite a, a famous accomplished physician she, who was recognized by the dalai lama and just this this amazing person um, was in a terrible car accident on the Golden Gate Bridge. Some of you might have heard about this, and they made a film about about her life. Uh, her name is Grace Daman, and the film was called States of Grace. But it was, it was, and, that, and she she survived this head-on collision, but is 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 paralyzed in certain ways and is quite dependent. Um, 
And they asked her, what did you learn? What have you learned about life? What have you learned about uh, practice through this experience? And she said, everything changes. You know, nothing lasts. Great joy, great sorrow, great peace, nothing lasts. Nothing lasts. Um, and life is beautiful. And um, the sun is shining. You know, and in quite an amazing way, she underwent something like 13 or 15 surgeries. And after a year or two years of rehabilitation, has, has gone back to work as a physician. And she started, uh, many, many years ago, she had started the first AIDS ward at Laguna Honda Hospital in San Francisco. And now she has started the first pain clinic. And many of her patients are in wheelchairs. So it's quite moving to, 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 to watch her um, and, and how she talks about pain. We can't necessarily take away the pain, but maybe we can do something about the suffering. Um, so, so when, so when we, when we simply use mindfulness to look at our experience, when the mind settles, when we open to the changing nature of things, um, something can let go. And this is a way of seeing that can release us, that kind of drains the suffering. Um, and when there's impermanence, but without, without the resistance, without the um, denial, with, with our heart open to it, we also open to the beauty of impermanence, to the mystery. Um, it's like the miracle of impermanence in a way. This is Hafiz, deepening the wonder. Death is a favor to us but our scales have lost their balance. Death is a favor to us, but our scales have lost their balance. The impermanence of the body should give us great clarity, deepening the wonder in our senses and eyes of, the, of this mysterious existence we share and are surely just traveling through. If I were in the tavern tonight, I would buy freely for everyone in this world because our marriage with the cruel beauty of time and space cannot endure very long. Death is a favor to us, but our minds have lost their balance. The miraculous existence and impermanence of form always makes the illuminated ones, always makes the awakened ones laugh and sing.
Buddha had his awakening, he, the story goes that he wanted to share it with his, his kind of Dharma friends, his five Dharma friends. And so he went to find them and to teach them what he understood. And um, there was one who is said to have awoken at the, the first Dharma talk that the Buddha gave. And so the Buddha, so his name was Kondanya, Kondanya. And the Buddha asked him, what do you know? What do you know? And Kondanya said simply, whatever arises, whatever has the nature to arise, will cease. And the Buddha said, Kondanya knows. in a way um, we don't we don't free ourselves from the world of impermanence but in some way we wake up into impermanence you know um, we wake up into our life exactly as it is in this this human body this um, this human body that is Going in one direction, you know, it's like water is flowing in one direction. Um, We, if we want to look at our practice or think about our practice, maybe one good gauge is how free are we to move between the different states, the diff all the change that's in our life? Um, how easy are we with change? Um, how soft are we? There's a way that see, really seeing impermanence is, it gives an equality to things. Everything is equal in the sense that everything is changing. And so this kind of equanimity um, will help us be more, more free um, in this world of change. So maybe let's just sit for a minute.
Death is a favor to us, but our minds have lost their balance. The impermanence of the body should give us great clarity, deepening the wonder in our senses and eyes. Death is a favor to us, but our minds have lost their balance. The miraculous existence and impermanence of form always makes the awakened ones laugh and sing. 